Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We got to just live ready, right? That's how God wants us to live. Not in a spooky, I'm going to come get you kind of way, but that there would be hope and expectancy and even a joy at the thought that he's coming back for us. You know, the best thing about the rapture to me in that phraseology, when you read it, it says that we'll be caught up together with the Lord forever to be with him. Once we're caught up to be with him, we're going to be with him forever. Heaven is going to be heaven because we're going to be with him. That's what's going to be great. The end times is a topic that can cause a whole bag full of emotions. But in today's message with Pastor Bill, you'll learn about the great hope that arises when God brings every believer home. When the Lord returns for his children, this should cause excitement rather than fear. For the Father will be reunited with his children, just as it was supposed to be from the beginning. So rather than be afraid of his returning, get ready. There is nothing more beautiful than being with him for eternity. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. 1 Corinthians 15, a brief recap. This chapter has primarily been about the resurrection. For you guys that were with us in the first study, we covered verses 1 through 4, and that was really laying out the gospel message. And so the entirety of the gospel message, maybe the clearest explanation of the gospel message is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, and he talks about how the gospel that he gave out was that I delivered to you, first of all, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that on the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. Then he's spending the rest of the chapter really arguing for the validity of the resurrection. And so uh, in our study last week, we talked about that. He laid out so many things. That if you don't believe in the resurrection, then. We're still in our sins. We're, we're not going to heaven. You know, I mean, he laid out all the reasons why the resurrection must be or all that we're doing is in vain. But today uh, he's leaving the argument for why we must believe it. And he's coming back to the argument for the resurrection. This, I'll just say this to us up front. And uh, because I'm thinking, what do I say to a group of people that how many of you guys already believe in the resurrection? All right. We already believe in it. Um, I believe in it already, um, but I believe as we go through these things, there's there's information here that um, will help us understand maybe aspects of the resurrection. What's amazing about it? What's the big deal about it? What's to look forward to about it? Um, and today it ties into the end times sequence of events. And we want to also look at that. So first Corinthians 15, I'll reread verse 20 and then we'll go on from there. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And we left off there last week and I wanted to pick up there because um, it's an interesting place. He said, look, Christ has become for you and me the first fruits. For you guys that were with us on Thursday night, not too long ago, we went through the book of Leviticus. And we looked at the feast of first fruits. And it was a feast where they would bring, it was, it was after the Passover where they sacrificed the lamb the day after. Then the, then this feast of first fruits, they brought the first of their grain. So let's say you were, you had a field and you were harvesting grain. Well, the very first of your grain would come. You would take it and you would bring it as an offering to the Lord. Um, part of it was an offering in faith saying, God, I'm, I'm taking the first fruits and giving it to you, knowing that you're going to give us more, knowing that there's more to come. And so this is just the first fruits of what's much more to come. Interestingly, when Jesus rose from the grave, it was right after the same setup. It was the, the Passover and Christ died. He had passed away. 
Then there was the feast of first fruits, and this is when Christ resurrected as a first fruits to you and I of what would be. How can we be confident? How could we be confident that we would rise from the dead if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave? If he hadn't gone before us, if he hadn't been the first fruit, if he hadn't been the example of what was to come first, how could we be confident that we, we also would rise from the grave? So verse 21 to 23 now, he said, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And so he goes back and says, hey, in the same way that Adam was uh, a firstfruit of death, Adam was the first man, Adam was the one that brought forth death, he sinned in the garden, and so death entered. And so it says, just like through Adam came death, uh, and as in Adam all dies, so too in Christ all shall be made alive. So in the same way, Adam is the example of why death will come. Uh, Jesus becomes the example of the first fruits of, uh, of life coming, life beyond the grave. And so here's the difference between resurrected, because if you look through the Bible, Jesus, you know, wasn't the first one to rise from the dead, right? Um, in, in the Old Testament, there were people that were risen from the dead through Elijah's ministry. Uh, even in Jesus' ministry, Lazarus has risen from the dead. There have been people that were raised up from the dead. What's the difference between that and a resurrection? And this is the difference. Um, someone being raised from the dead, what happened to all those people that rose from the dead? They died again of something else later on. I mean, it was amazing to have got to be someone in time and history and space where you died and you got brought back and you get to be written in scripture forever and ever. But they got to die of something else. So later on, them people died and hopefully they, they died in Christ and they went to be with the Lord. So the resurrection is different, right? Um, Christ, when he raised Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. When Christ died, he rose and he ever lives. Um, but there's also something else. His form, his, his person, uh, the body in which he came back in his resurrected form was different than the body beforehand. And so we get glimpses into What's it going to be like for us in the next round? What's what's our resurrected bodies going to be like? How can we know we get a little bit of insight into that through looking at Christ in his resurrected form? Um, and we talked about some of those things he ate in his resurrected body. So we're going to eat in heaven. You know, uh, the way he got around, he just went. He just appeared places. He went through walls. I mean, it wasn't a normal type of body. It was a supernatural body. And, and not today's study, but t- next week. Um, that last section of First uh, Corinthians 15, he talks about the difference between the bodies we have on earth and the bodies that we're going to need to have in eternity. And so, again, Christ is the first fruit. And so look at verse 23. But each one in his own order. So everybody has it goes in his own order. First Christ, Christ, the first fruits. Afterwards, those who belong to Christ. So Christ rose from the grave first. Then those who are Christ at his coming. So afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. So when will believers be resurrected? When is the resurrection of the believer? He tells us right there at his coming uh, when Christ comes for us. And so something that we look forward to as believer is we look forward to the rapture. We look forward to being caught up to be with the Lord. We look forward to a point, a time where we're going to be caught up. We're going to be resurrected to be with him. Some people read these sort of things in the Bible and it's like, ah, you know, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to believe. You know, I've never seen people rise up. I've never seen a rapture. I've never seen any of these things. And like everything else in the Bible, you either believe in the word of God or you don't. You either take God at his word, all of his word or not. I either read the Bible and believe that, man, God said there's a day coming 
where like that, people are going to be caught up to be with the Lord, all those that believe in the Lord. And everybody that don't believe in him is going to be left behind. I either believe that, accept that is true, or um, I reason around it. Well, you know, maybe not. Um, I don't, maybe not exactly like that. That's, that's what the Bible says is going to happen. It says one day, uh, there's a day coming where we'll be caught up to be with the Lord. When is that day coming? Anybody? Do we have a date? Do we have a time frame? Time frame? Anything to look for? Any hints? We got hints? Okay. So let me, let me help us out. Let me help us out. All right. Let me ask some questions without giving answers. So we don't have a date. So every group in history that's ever said, he's coming back on this date. Whenever somebody says that, you can go ahead and say, you know, you're going to go ahead and just shoo them on down the road. That There is no time and date. I've known several people who vehemently believed. I mean, there was a guy I used to meet with at a Starbucks. Me and Clint used to see him every Sunday. This dude had it. It was he wore T-shirts. He had handouts. He was on the radio station. He had the thing on his car. And he would just, I mean, we had to stop. We were like, man, we can't argue with you. I'm on my way to church. He didn't want to argue every single Sunday. I mean, he had the date down to a, I mean, and we went back and forth and I'm like, well, what do you do with the verse where God says no man knows the day or the hour? What about that? Well, you know, and he had a reason for everything, but they had it nailed down to a date. And I remember he had the date on the shirts and all this stuff. I couldn't wait to that. That date passed. And I was every day going looking for him. He didn't show up for a little while. And I finally saw him and I said, hey, bro, we're still here. You know, we're, we're here. You know, we didn't, you, you're here. You know, and I, I kind of being facetious with him, but, uh, you know, I, and I went and I said, so now what do you say? Well, you know, we, our pastors may have been off by a little bit. They put a new date up. And I'm thinking, like, why don't everybody just leave that joint? Like, why would you? What, if I gave y'all a date and y'all could show up and after that date, and I'm, y'all should all leave. Y'all should all say you're a liar. And I'm leaving. You lied on God. And anyway, so there is no date. We don't know exactly when. But the Bible does tell us. Right. It says we can look at the seasons and we can tell that look like rain is on the way. Um, I don't know exactly. You know, you look up and see dark clouds. I don't know what time it's going to start, but it looked like rain's coming. Look like it's going to be some rain coming. We can see the signs of the times. We can see when the Bible says, hey, in the end times, it's going to be like this. And when I see it like that, I know I'm in the end times. The Bible said, hey, in the end times, it's going to be like the days of Lot. What do I know about the days of Lot? I know one thing. I know in the days of Lot that the homosexuals were aggressive. They were beating down doors saying, let us have that man. That's aggressive. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, we're there. Homosexuals are aggressive. They're, we're in a culture right now where they're saying, you know, we're going to have our way. We're going to impose our will. We're there. Days a lot. Boom. I look at that and I look at what's going on. I don't say what's going on. I'm looking like, man, this is exactly what God said it would be like. The Bible says when you start to see those things happen, just look up for your redemption draws nigh. Here's the other thing. John tells us that. Everyone who has this hope, this hope of the return of Christ, purifies himself, even as he's a purifying effect. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's coming. And because I don't know when, I'm just to be living with an expectancy, but I'm to be living right. I'm to be living ready. I'm not living like, I don't know, me and the Lord not coming back forever. You know, I don't know when he's coming. I remember when I was a kid, my mom would leave a list of chores and then she would take off. She would be like, and she didn't tell us where she was going, how long she was going to be gone. But she said, when I get back, this stuff needs to be done. And I remember there were times where I was needing money. I wanted to go out with my friends or whatever. And so I would bust through that list. And guess what? When I was done, I was looking for her car to come. I'm looking. I'm, ex- I'm with expectancy. I wanted her to hurry up and come and check off my list and give me my pay so I can go. Right. I was looking forward to her return. But. I remember one in particular time because I didn't do it all the time. But there was one time where I thought 
she ain't coming back. She last time she stayed gone half the day. So I had my friends come over. We start playing Nintendo and having, you know, then we we're fighting. Then we had, you know, we were having all kind of me and my sister had a scuffle in the back. And now the house is worse than when she left. And I remember hearing moms pull up and I'm like, oh, no, like my heart sank. And I'm like, I haven't done a thing. And not only have I not done what's on the list. I've done, we, we created some new messes while she was gone and, and we got beat when she got in. We got the beating we deserved and didn't get no allowance, you know, but here's the difference, right? There are going to be people that when the Lord returns, they were living like in that first instance. Man, God, I've been obedient. I've been serving. I've been looking. I, I'm excited at the thought that you came, you're coming now. Woo! You know, and then we're just, you're gone to be with the Lord. There are going to be people that at the thought of his return are like, oh no, not. Can you wait a month? <laughs> Can you give me some time? This is the thing. Do we get to pick and choose when? We got to just live ready. Right? That's how God wants us to live. Not in a spooky, I'm going to come get you kind of way, but that there would be hope and expectancy and even a joy at the thought that he's coming back for us. You know, the best thing about the rapture to me in that phraseology, when you read it, it says that we'll be caught up together with the Lord forever to be with him. Once we're caught up to be with him, we're going to be with him forever. Heaven is going to be heaven because we're going to be with him. That's what's going to be great. Everything else is going to be candy and and pluses, but we're going to be with him. And so, um, but we we got to be resurrected. We're going to be caught up. So it says again, Christ is the first fruits afterward. Those who are Christ at his coming. Then verse 24. And then it says, then comes the end. So we know that Christ died and resurrected. We know that there's coming a time where we're going to be resurrected. And it says, then comes the end. Then everything is going to come to an end. And so I had wanted to kind of give a, a layout of kind of an end times sequence of events. Um, you know, what's the, what order are things going to happen in? And um, I want to give a little bit. I want to give us some bit, some pieces of what's the order of events, right? Um, I wish I could go back to, we did the book of Revelation a couple years ago. Um, and Revelation is the perfect breakdown. You know, it lays everything out in its order. But here's what it is. Right now, Revelation breaks down into three parts, right? In Revelation 119, the key of the book, John said, write the things which have been, past tense, write the things which are, present tense, and the things which will be after this, future. So it breaks down past, present, future. Chapter one was the things which have been. And we got a picture of the resurrected Christ. That's where you get the image of Christ with the hair like wool and white like wool and eyes like a flame of fire and feet like bronze with the, with the, with the, you know, the ornaments of a high priest on and everything else. Then we got the church age, chapters two and three. That's right now. Chapters two and three are the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus addresses seven different churches. Uh, many people believe it, it speaks to seven different periods of church history, but he directly speaks to the church. And so we have the church age, chapters two and three. And then from there, you know, you got in chapter four where it begins with after these things. The Greek is metatauta, after these things. And from four on, we have future. We're looking forward to what's to come, what's going to happen. That's how the book lays out. And so we have the church in Revelation two and three. And then we have the church in heaven. We have the church in a place where we're in God's presence. We're singing a song that only the church can sing in Revelation five. They're worshiping the lamb because he was slain. And that's only something only a believer can worship the lamb for being slain and, and being forgiven. And then beginning in chapter six to chapter 19, we have the tribulation period. We have a time on earth where God is literally pours out his wrath on everybody left. Now, we believe from other places in scriptures that we're taken out before that. Uh, I don't believe that Christians will go through the great tribulation. Why not? 
If the goal of the tribulation is to punish those that have rejected, why would those that have received him go through it? The whole goal of that period in time is to punish those that have rejected. It's, it's a time of punishment. God's pouring out his wrath. Well, God doesn't have wrath for you and me that have believed. You guys know that? There is no wrath. Wrath is passed over us. We've been washed in the blood of the lamb. We are his kids. We're going to be accepted and received. We won't be part of the wrath. If I go home and I, if I'm going to pour out my wrath on, let's say I got four kids. Let's say this kid messed up and you got to get wrath. You got to get whooping. Do I whoop the other three just because? Not if I'm a just dad. No, I don't want do that. So that's not even in his nature and character. But anyway, probably we're caught up and at that point, you have what's left. Now, the gracious and amazing thing for you guys to study Revelation is that even during the tribulation period, God leaves room. People get saved during the tribulation period. Jews who are confused or unbelieving come to faith. And then there's, you know, with the Jehovah's Witnesses have taken hold of the 144,000. These are Jewish people that go forth and proclaim the gospel and lead people to Christ. Then there are people that for their faith in God during the tribulation period die for their faith. And, and then they're caught up together as well. They get to go to heaven as well. And we see an image of them with their robes that look like they've been dipped in blood. Anyway, then we come to chapter 20 and it's just before everything gets put in its place. And it's we call it the great white throne judgment. And I want to read just a bit of Revelation 20 and then we're going to move on with our study of the resurrection. So in Revelation 20. And I, I think it's important that we just lay out this foundation. So I'm going to read verses one through six first. It says, then I saw the angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit. So this is after the tribulation period is over. Satan is going to be bound up. This angel has a key to the bottomless pit, a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon. That's the devil, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan. And he bound them for a thousand years. So after the tribulation period, the Bible says that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. That'd be a thousand years on earth with no satanic influence. He's going to be bound. Um, that's what we're reading right here. in Revelation 20 verse three says he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more to the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. That's us. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so there's coming a time where when the Bible talks about ruling and reigning with him, this is when um, that thousand year period is not like some people think we're going to go to heaven and we're just going to be on the clouds with a harp singing kumbaya. No, we're going to have jobs. We're going to have dominion over areas. There are going to be things to do over this thousand year period. How do you think God determines who gets put over what? It's going to be based on your faithfulness. What were you doing on earth? Were you faithful to the call of God on earth? God says and he was faithful with little. I'm going to put much under his care. Those who were, you know, you were faithful in this down here. I'm going to put you over cities and over many things. That'll determine what we do for eternity. So in this time frame, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ for this period of time. A thousand years now. And that thousand years called the millennial reign of Christ, it's a different period of time than we've ever experienced. There's going to be peace on earth because it's going to be demanded. There won't be, sin won't be rampant. Satan will be bound. There'll be forced righteousness. And so if you think about this, you know, what happens when there's forced righteousness? For some of us that have little kids, they only do the right thing because they know if they don't, you're going to do, you're going to get them. 
And so it's kind of imposed, it's forced. Well, at the end of the thousand years, everybody's going to have a chance. They're going to have a chance to be shown what was in their hearts. And so at the end of that thousand years, Satan is going to be released. The Bible says as soon as he's released, what do you think he goes to do as soon as he's released? He goes right back to deceiving the nations. And I want you to know, he's not worried about deceiving a couple little people. He wants to deceive at the highest level. He wants to deceive nations. And so look at verse seven and eight. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to this and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog, Magog to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sands of the sea. And they're going to be people that as soon as Satan is released, they go right back to him. They leave the righteousness they've been living. They leave and they go with him and there'll be a final war. Obviously, they're going to come together to go to war with God. Who's going to win that war? Every time. I mean, it's funny to think that, man, it says in verse 10 that the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake, but he deceived people. In verse nine, they all went up on the breadth of the earth. They surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Everybody that came against God and his people. Boom, they're devoured. Then verse 10 says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the fire. Here's the deal. As much as we look at the resurrection, for the Christian, it's the resurrection to life. We're going to be resurrected into life with Christ in its fullness. But non-believers are resurrected too, right? They got to come back. They get brought back for judgment. They get brought back to the great white throne Know that no Christian will be at the great white throne. Nobody stands before the great white throne and goes to heaven. When you go to the great white throne, it's because your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And when it says books are open, imagine this, you guys. Imagine that there were a book with every sin that you've ever committed in thought, deed, or word. Every sin. I mean, how big would the books be? How many books would there be? Um, you know, how much time would it take to go through the books, right? But imagine that for the non-believer, it's there, written in the books. All that information is there and their names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so it's like a judgment. They're being judged for their sins, their crimes against God. And everyone there is cast into the lake after the after the enemy. Some people have this image of hell like Satan is a he's the king of hell. Like he's down there with his pitchfork ruling and reigning and telling folk where to go and orchestrating his minions. Understand that the hell was first created to torment him. He gets to go to hell first. And then the false prophet and the beast are already there. And then everybody who didn't receive Christ but fell for his lie, ends up there. So I felt like it was important to go over that because I don't know that we could appreciate fully the resurrection of life without understanding that there is an alternative that we're escaping. Um, those of us that have come to life in Christ, we're escaping that resurrection to death, right? Imagine someone died, they're in torment now, being brought back up to be judged, to be sent into the lake of fire now, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And they'll never get out They'll never be forgiven. There's no hope. There's no chance that they could ever escape that. 
That's the reality for those that die without Christ. Whereas, flip the coin over for the believer, the hope that we have says that when we're resurrected to life, there's no thought that we could ever be kicked out. Thanks for joining us here on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by Paul to the Corinthians sometime after he lived in Corinth. He had an intimate knowledge of the church there, and so he felt compelled to write a direct letter to address the things that were happening among the believers there. The things he wrote about showed that there were problems in the church then, just like there are issues in churches today. Even among believers, there are real sin issues that can derail an entire church if those areas aren't dealt with. Are there areas in your life today that you know need to be addressed? If you need someone to talk to or to pray with, we're here and are ready to answer your call or text. Our number is 310-245-4811. That number again is 310-245-4811. We're so glad you tuned in to A Transforming Word. We'd love to meet you. If you're in the Inglewood area, come join us this weekend for church. We meet at Calvary Inglewood every Sunday. And you can get more information on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. There, you'll also be able to learn more about this ministry and listen to additional teachings from Pastor Bill. Again, that website is calvaryinglewood.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time as Pastor Bill continues to teach through 1 Corinthians. We look forward to another edition of A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.